All right. Hello, Sona. I haven't recorded with you for a while. We've seen each other a couple of times. We haven't actually recorded in quite some yeah. period. <laughs> yeah, it's been a while. Part of the reason I haven't recorded, to be honest, was because the things I was planning to cover, I have been watching True Detective. I am probably going to record a True Detective recap or catch up because we're just two episodes left and they're publishing it because of the Super Bowl. We're getting it early. We're getting it tonight. So I can watch it tonight and have the whole weekend to record and edit. And I'm kind of catching up on the season. So it'll probably be a long, I'll probably do that solo. But honestly, that was the next show I was planning to cover. I was very much looking forward to it. I've had very, very mixed reaction to it. Uh, not loving it so far uh, and so close to the end. There are some great things about it, but I just don't think it's quite working for me. And I do want to bring that up in the context of the show we're going to talk about today, which is Mr. and Mrs. Smith, because um, my reaction to watching Mr. and Mrs. Smith, and I'm putting my thumb on the scale here before getting your reaction to it, was like, I just loved the show and I just couldn't wait to see the next episode. Like, what are they going to do now? And I had all these little, even low, much low stakes, much more low stakes um, than in True Detective, which has so many like mysteries and what's going on and yada, yada, yada that I honestly don't care about. And Mr. and Mrs. Smith, uh, we'll get into it in more detail as we break down the show. I was full of like, what's going on? Who's this? I was like really intrigued by even these little silly mysteries they were throwing into the show. And I really just felt like, why? <laughs> this is my general impression of just the show's been covering recently. Why is this so hard for people to get TV right? Like, isn't this how TV used to work? Why is it so hard now for people to make basic TV? <laughs> Well, first of all, I have a bone to pick because okay. yeah. you're acting like you watched this show before I watched this show. And oh, in good fact, point. yes, you are absolutely I watched correct. the show first mm -hmm. yes. and texted you how much I was enjoying it. Absolutely. Although, yes. although you had already heard the same from your sister. So I can't say <laughs> yes. it was like my discovery, but between the two of us. I was on the forefront of this. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> and, that, and that rarely happens. So I need the credit. But um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe there are just too many ways to make TV and have yeah. TV seen now. Whereas, you know, before, back in the day, old days of when we were kids, you really had just the three networks and everybody... I, I'm sure it was cutthroat to get onto those three networks. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, you know, now it's kind of like there's room for a lot of mediocre programming, I yep. guess. Yep. I don't know. You know what part of it is, too? I think a lot of these people who are making shows now don't have TV experience, right? They're like these. Sometimes, you know, they've made a few artsy-fartsy movies. And I say that as people, who, as someone who loves artsy-fartsy movies, by the way. Um, these are uh, really talented creators, but they don't know how to make TV because I think TV is different. And what it makes me think yeah. about is we had years and years and years of shows like friends or uh, law and order, which is still on the air now. And first of all, there were a lot of gatekeepers in the fact that you had relatively mm -hmm. little content compared to now you have so much content. And uh, so you almost always had somebody running a show who was really, really uh, adept and experienced at making television. And I mentioned this because you think about how the, the the recipe for making TV is. You watch like Law and Order, or even when Law and Order. At one point, I remember I was just watching Law and Order, and then they brought in like NCIS in the Law and Order slot. So I was watching that in the afternoons just because mm -hmm. I had time to kill. And mm -hmm. I did not like NCIS at all. And yet I would watch it every single day because <laughs> like 10% of the time it was an episode that was kind of good. But this is my point. 
that TV, most of that TV was not good, but you watched it anyway because they know how to pull you in even when it's not good. Yeah. And I think that mm-hmm. now it's the opposite where it's like, I really am loving, like I, I'm going to talk about some of these shows that I, as recommendations here, uh, like uh, Amazon Prime show earlier this year, Dead Ringers, the uh, TV series adaptation of that. That was a show that is exactly what I'm describing. There are episodes of that season of show that are absolutely some of the best TV I have ever seen. And yet there are, as a TV show, I'm like, I I would tell people just watch these three episodes and skip the rest (laughs) because like they couldn't make it work as TV, even though these people are so talented that when everything is clicking, it's incredible television or incredible filmmaking, I would say more than television. And then yet it doesn't work as a TV show. And, uh, mm-hmm. and I think that's the problem, right? It's like you have these really, really talented people who can really write incredible dialogue, bring in incredible like art design and ambitious themes and great performances. But that's not what TV's about, honestly. <laughs> TV's like about like fitting into a formula and creating like a, a flow from one episode to the next. And that is hard to learn on the fly, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I agree. It is a very different thing. And in fact, just in in our conversations, right? I think you, at least traditionally, have been more of a movie person and I've been more of a TV person. And when we talked about doing this podcast, you originally said like, oh, we could talk about these movies. And I said, I can't talk about movies, but if you want to talk <laughs> about TV, I'm here for that. Yeah. Um, because it is it is different. Um, and you know, for whatever reason, something about the way I like to watch things, TV suits me more. But yes, my point being, I don't think it's just like a shorter version of a movie to make a TV show. Right. Absolutely. I, I completely agree. That's always why I kind of preferred movies because there's there's more flexibility in making a movie. And maybe this is as context for this conversation. With a movie, what I like about it is that you get the story right away. If there's going to be some kind of payoff, you get it quickly. And then the, yes. another thing I really like about movies, and this has changed, by the way, because of Prestige TV is that with a movie, you could follow somebody who you really, really despise. Like you truly hate this person. And I know some people will be like, I can't watch that movie. I hated that character. I'm like, I don't mind being with a character that I hate. I don't want to do it for 40 episodes, but I'll do it for like a movie length because there's a finite amount of time I have to spend with that person. And if they get like a comeuppance at the end or if they get away with it or something, it's like can be ironic or clever or, but I don't know if I want to make a big commitment to it. Now that I think has changed. I think that's kind of the subversion that television has gone through because Walter White, for example, is a despicable character. And then just from spending time with him, you know, this is the miracle of TV in a way, <laughs> just spending time with him makes you, you know, sympathize with this person who is, uh, during my rewatch of that show, by the way, I experienced something that I did not experience when I watched it week to week. I had never binged it. But I'm like, man, this guy's a bad guy from the very beginning. <laughs> like, he's always been bad. Like, he's really not yeah. good. He didn't break uh-huh. bad. He was bad. Uh-huh. <laughs> and anyway, it's just interesting that now you can do that type of thing in TV, which I think is something that changed. Yeah, Tony Soprano too, right? Uh, absolutely. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, or The Wire, I, going I back personally... all the, I'm sorry, not The Wire, going all the way back to The Shield, right? You think about, like, literally mm-hmm. we have this cop, spoilers for the pilot episode, he, like, kills one of the other cops in the first episode and then covers mm-hmm. his tracks for the rest of the first season. And then by the end of that show, you're, like, compelled by him. Like, he's like, he's the hero of the show, even though he's, like, a, a cold-blooded murderer, right? I honestly, I don't think I've ever had a problem watching people I dislike for episode after episode. <laughs> yeah. I find it fascinating, and I love psychology and all of that. But I do think also with TV, it, it is a different marketing demand to keep people coming back, right? 
the right. movie, once someone has sat down to start the movie, exactly. you're done with your job, regardless of whether they love it or hate it. TV, I think there's so much more risk involved of like not being able to hold someone's interest through the series. I mean, there are many TV series that I've watched one or two episodes and I've thought, this is fine. I don't even dislike it, but I don't like it enough to finish it. And there's a much broader conversation. We should actually have this maybe as like categories of shows that were like growers, because you think about how certain shows you know, hit the ground running, they are massively successful, whether it's like The Simpsons or The Cosby Show or just certain shows that are iconic from the moment they premiere. And then if anything, they lose uh, ratings over time. But maybe a more recent example of this is Friends, right? Which was a hit when it started right away. Within a year or two, it's like the biggest show on TV. And then it just fades away over time, although still massively popular towards the end of its run. But I'm very curious about shows like, for example, Cheers, or Seinfeld, which come out and it's like almost a miracle they even lasted a year because when Cheers was on the air, by the way, critics liked it, but people were like, these people are a bunch of losers. I don't, why <laughs> Why are people watching this show? And then little by little, like over the course of a year, over the course of two years, people start to like these characters. Same thing with Seinfeld. And then in both of those cases, shows that barely survived getting renewed are the biggest, they're, they're like truly cultural phenomena over a period of time. So that's a question to have maybe in the future about like, why is it that we are, we love characters some in some cases immediately. And in other cases uh, we're like, uh, I don't know if I like these people. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, like two, three years later, like you cannot wait to, you know, it's appointment television and like how that actually happens culturally. And I'm just thinking about this as we sit here talking about it. I haven't given it all that much thought, but this goes back to kind of how we started talking about how there are so many different ways to watch TV yes. now. I mm -hmm. think yes. before- it was kind of like, well, it's eight o'clock on a Thursday. There's nothing else on these other two networks that remotely interest me. Right. I'll yep. watch mm -hmm. this one. Yes. And then you just kept doing that over and over again until it did grow on you because there was nothing else anyway. So you kind of just had it on in the background. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, one episode interested you and you thought like, huh, maybe I like this better than I thought. And then all of a sudden, you by the second year, you're really into it. You love it. It's your favorite. But it was almost that lack of choice, I think, that forced us wow. to watch some things. <laughs> I love your theory that it's like, and I think you're right, by the way, but I love this theory that it's like Stockholm Syndrome, right? Where it's just like, <laughs> I need to have something on in between my other favorite shows. This is the... <laughs> This is like the the least worst option for Less, me. The least offensive. <laughs> and then this is this is like me watching NCIS, a, a show that I don't like at all. Uh, you know, a hundred episodes of it because it's just like, oh, I'll put this on until Law and Order reruns start again. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, I gotta watch the next episode of NCIS. That show I hate. I gotta watch it anyway because like, what happens next? I gotta know. I, I don't yeah, care much. about any of these people. I don't remember any of their names. <laughs> gotta watch the next episode. <laughs> Look, we're spoiled by choice now, right? So it's like a constant trying to trade up. Like this show is okay, but there's probably another show out there that I would like more. And I only have two hours to watch TV tonight. So like, should I spend it watching the show that's okay and might get better? Or should I try something new that might hook me from the start? And I'll be so into it that I'll binge watch it this weekend. Yep, yep. You know, I think it's hard. Um, and I, I really... <laughs> You know, it sounds like we were previously living in like a communist regime or something the way <laughs> right. I'm describing it. 
I do think, you know, there was an advantage to that. You could do a slow burn type of thing because where were people going to go otherwise anyway? Oh my God. And that is something that kids cannot understand, by the way. Like, first of all, I try to explain, you know, when I just say like, oh, we used to watch this, your mom used to like this show. And she's like, did she watch it? What app did she watch it on? Or this was on Netflix back then. And I'm like, no, like there's no Netflix. There was no streaming. And the best part about it is like, I will be watching sports, like actual, like terrestrial TV. I'll be watching a sports show. And then in between or during halftime or something, I'll switch channels to something else. And then like an ad will be playing or a TV show will be on, or we'll be in the middle of a movie. And my daughter will be like, rewind that, which I could do with the DVR, but I don't actually do that because I don't have the DVR running all the time. But it's like, basically, she's like, rewind that. I'm like, I can't rewind that. I can't pause that. You know, she's like, pause it. I have to go to use the bathroom. I'm like, I can't pause it. That's so funny. You know? And there's like no concept of that. It's just like, what are you talking about? It's like, if you were in front of the TV when it was on, you missed it. That's how it it used to work. (laughs) You had to go to the bathroom during the commercials and be back in time. That's it. Here, let me just give this one example because I know we're getting really off the beaten path here. But (laughs) just as an example, I am looking up right now the MASH finale, okay? Mm -hmm. I was 11 years old, fully invested in a show about the Korean War, okay? (laughs) (laughs) Because my parents watched it every week. And at first, I was kind of like, this is a weird show. And then, you know, the more I watched it, I I don't know how long this, let me see how many, I'm trying to see how many seasons. Season 11. a long time, yes. (laughs) So (laughs) I was You watched that at birth. You were watching that show. (laughs) When I was a seven or eight year old or something, I'm not even a preteen and I'm watching that traumatizing finale with the woman on the bus with the baby crying. I mean, and I was Mm -hmm. fully invested in it. Something like that has no demographic connection to me whatsoever. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, but that's what things were like back then. That's a a, a show. I mean, that's so crazy. That show is about the Korean War. And then it's actually a metaphor for the Vietnam War. <laughs> but mm-hmm. by the time it's over, it's like the late 80s. Like that, no one even remembers the Vietnam War at that point. By the way, this is actually relevant to some extent because it speaks to this moment we have in TV, which is coming to an end. I'm pretty sure there's a lot of consolidation happening at this very moment. They're looking to sell CBS, which also owns Showtime. There is a new sports package that includes the streaming services that is a merger of Disney and Hulu and Fox and HBO. When you think about that, like basically everyone's afraid of Netflix and Apple and Amazon Prime, not because there's great content on all those programs, although they have good shows on all those platforms, but because they just have so much money and they're just becoming less and less relevant, even though they are the just, you know, this legacy content providers. And that's what's going to happen to them. But all this is to say that there's been too much, I think, uh, stuff out there to watch, which is make it very hard to pick anything (laughs) like you like you mentioned and you feel like you're missing out on something or you don't want to invest in something that's never going to come back for a second season. So there's all mm-hmm. these gotchas to everything that's out there now. And I think this whole period of time is coming to an end. And kind of one of the exemplars of this in a positive and negative way, I think, is this show we're going to talk about today, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, in the fact that this is obviously Amazon Prime making a big play to bring in like a young creative force uh, that's been really culturally relevant for the past decade or so, Donald Glover, to mm-hmm. make a show uh, on this uh, platform. It's also a reboot of some kind of IP, but just to speak to the fact that they've kind of run out of real big IP, so you're making like kind of a reboot of a movie that was 
very successful at the time, but really not culturally relevant to this point. But it's almost like they use that as an excuse to shoehorn in, uh, which is the way things are made. Now you always have to have some kind of name brand. And one last thing that I think is relevant uh, to some of these conversations is this show must have cost an absolute fortune. And these <laughs> people are pouring money into these shows that like literally we may never get a second season. But once again, there's like no guardrails on any of this stuff right now. Although once again, I think this is all coming to an end. They, they cannot keep burning through cash like this and it's bankrupting all these companies. Um, but we get some interesting content. You make a great point about the Mr. and Mrs. Smith kind of branding of it, because that definitely is what caught my interest because I did enjoy that movie basically 20 years ago, I think. Yep. And so that made me curious about what this was. And when I started hearing online that it was good, then I was kind of like, okay, yeah, you know, I know enough going in about what this should be about. And I enjoyed it the first time. So let me try it again. But I wonder if it had had a whole other name that did not connect it to Mr. and Mrs. Smith, right. would I even have watched it? I'm not sure. Exactly. Yep. Um, and, you know, you're right. It's not really the same plot until not maybe the last episode. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> it's like prequel to the movie in a way. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So let's break down uh, the show. How far did you get? I stayed up to finish it last night. Oh, my God. Okay. Because I knew we were going to be talking about it today. And I'm happy I did because I feel like that last episode, um, although it nearly killed me at 10 o'clock when I saw it was longer <laughs> than the others, yes, um, you know, really does shift things quite a bit from what that show had been building up. So I'm still kind of processing the last episode, but mm -hmm. all around, I love this. I thought it was so fun. I thought it was fun to watch. You know, there's beautiful scenery. Yes. I thought the leads have a fun dynamic together. I thought the plots were interesting. Like I, I really have nothing um, bad to say about it. There were a few things that I kind of, and this always, I put the blame on myself because I am so easily distracted. There were a few things where I didn't quite, I wasn't quite sure the plot was airtight, but I was yeah. willing to go with it. And it honestly might've been my fault for being easily distracted. The things I thought were holes might've been explained. Maybe not. But what I was going to say is that my <laughs> the reason I mentioned that is because I have notes that we'll get into. I want to review with you. I have under nitpicks. I have so many nitpicks. I have, like tons. I have so many nitpicks. <laughs> but here's the thing. And I want to be clear about this. I have so many nitpicks. But this is what is the key with you know, characters you love and a show that you're really digging. I loved this show. Loved it. And at the same time, like there's giant gaping plot holes and in there, but I didn't even care. Like I love it. I couldn't, so couldn't wait to see the next right? episode. Yeah, exactly. So entertaining. <laughs> right. But we'll get into some of those nitpicks, uh, which may not, I mean, may, which may be intentional. By the way. I do have to say as far as nitpicks, because you know, I love a New York city based show yes, yes. and this um, is largely in New York. Yep. I loved how in the final episode, they addressed all the real estate questions. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's why I'm saying that maybe the show is like, I have so many nitpicks that I started writing them down early on as I'm watching the first two or three episodes. Mm -hmm. And I do want to call that out before I, I didn't preface all this conversation. You're absolutely correct that even though I lapped you in watching the show, I had heard the show was good. I had heard some good reviews. My sister started watching it and goes, you should check it out. I'm like, yeah, it's on my to-do list. And then you were like, I'm halfway into it or whatever. I'm like, okay, okay, I'm going to watch it. I'm going to watch <laughs> <This> it. Is <laughs> it. <laughs> so, I mean, it, it did, you, you absolutely were ahead of me. Uh, and then, you know, and then I loved it. And I just basically watched, I think I caught up to you, like watched the first half season. Yeah, you uh, caught up fast. And then 
past. Well, I watched it in two. I basically watched it in two nights. I think I watched it one night. I watched the first four, I think. Um, no, maybe I watched the first two and then I watched uh, the next two and then I watched the next three. And then the next day, like in the morning before work, I was like, I just got to watch the finale. <laughs> I just got to watch the finale. <laughs> so I just watched it in the morning before I, I logged in for work. There are shows that I trudge my feet. I'm like, oh, maybe I'll watch mm-hmm. the finale. I guess I've invested this much. This one was like, I couldn't wait to get through it. Although I, uh, you know, I have my opinions of the finale. It's the highest rated when you look at the web pages like IMDb where people rate episodes. It's the most uh, highly rated by fans. Uh, I actually thought it was the weakest of the episodes, but we can break down why. Once again, all this being yeah. said, I'm going to have a lot of negative things to say here and there. I love this show. I thought it was a lot of fun. So if you're thinking about watching it, everybody, and you don't want to get into the spoiler section, go watch it. It's so much fun. And, and if you like the first episode, I'd say give it the first two episodes to really get mm-hmm. a feel for what the show's about. Very fun. By the way, I want to call this out because there's always these like people think about the stars and it's kind of like the IP and stuff like that. I like to call that the kind of behind the scenes people. If I had known that Hiro Murai was the director and one of the producers on the show directed the first two episodes, which is always kind of setting the tone for a show. I think it's very important who shoots the pilot. That kind of becomes the template for the rest of the show. If I had known that he was a director of those first two episodes, I would have been right on board because I follow this guy's career. Because Sona, let me tell you, this guy's batting average. Yeah, I have no idea who this is. So let me tell you, for you and for the audience in general, listen to this guy. He starts off making music videos for Childish Gambino, a.k.a. Mm -hmm. Donald Glover. Makes sense. He makes Mm -hmm. a lot of music videos. He's made a lot of music videos. Donald Glover gets the opportunity to make his own show, Atlanta. So he brings in Mm -hmm. his buddy, Hira Murai, to direct the pilot episode. And he ends up directing more than half of all the episodes of Atlanta. If you've watched Atlanta, you know that that is also a show that can easily slip into, you know, from comedy to horror. Uh, You know, it's a little surreal. So you kind of get a feel for the tone, which you see here as well. Because he's doing so well in Atlanta, this new show on HBO comes along called Barry. And they're like, we should bring in Hiro Murai to direct our pilot episode. And he ends up directing most of the episodes for season one and season two of Barry, which Mm -hmm. once again sets the template for that great show. And then he goes and makes a show that I have recommended here many times, the show Station Eleven, brilliant show. He directs the entire thing. It's an incredible show. If you haven't caught up on that science fiction show that came out during the pandemic, it's about a pandemic. It was a little rough for people to watch that. But if you haven't mm-hmm. caught up on it, it's a beautiful show. My wife just finally watched it and loved it. So do check that out. But And meanwhile, in the middle of all this, he's developing a show that comes to FX called The Bear. He makes The Bear. This ah. guy has not missed at all. This guy's an incredible What uh, a career. Once again, that's why I would have been, as soon as I knew he was involved, I would have jumped at watching this because Mm -hmm. I just think that he, as a director, elevates the material. And I think that's kind of part of the reason where, honestly, some of these scripts have a lot of plot holes in them, but I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just there for the vibes, you know, and that's that's what the director's job is, right? So, Yep. (laughs) Hiro Mirai, this show's created by Donald Glover, who directs the final episode, by the way, uh, and also... um, Francesca Sloan, she's been a writer for the Fargo, for Atlanta. She's worked on a lot of shows. And they created this show together. It's shot in New York, like you mentioned. It's shot all over the world. It's like beautifully uh, mm-hmm. and expensively really. produced, I'm sure. Yeah, amazing to watch. Absolutely. And maybe a framework for this is what I thought really interesting about this show. You could say that Mr. and Mrs. Smith, the movie, you know, I'm always trying to think about themes is maybe about like a marriage falling apart and then coming back together. So you have these killers who are trying to kill each other, but you know that's really what that show's about. Even though these people are married to each other at the 
beginning of the show. They get like matched with each other. It turns out that Mr. and Mrs. Smith is not individual people. It's like a whole program of assassins mm-hmm. that get matched together. What I thought, if anything, I saw this as like a metaphor for dating, right? It's like you go through these phases. Do you want to go on the first date? Do you want to keep dating? Is this the type of person you want to be with? Do they want to have kids? Like literally, it's like you can look at the titles of each episode and it's like a phase in a developing relationship, right? And I thought that was a really interesting way to see the show. And as a matter of fact, it's almost like thematically what's happening in their relationship is counterpointed to the mission they're on that week. And that's another thing to mention here is that the show is really structured like TV where they're on a different mission each week. Mm -hmm. Whatever mission they're on is paralleling the situation within their relationship and like this phase of their relationship. Like, do I want to still keep doing this? Is this the person I want to be with? I hadn't thought about it at the time because what occurred to me, this was like a more lighthearted version of The Americans, which Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I don't think you've watched, but um, is one of my favorite TV shows, TV series of all time. And I think one of the best TV series of all time, honestly. Um, So I felt like I was getting a different version rather than of Mr. and Mrs. Smith, of the Americans, um, yes. you know, which is about Russian spies who are yes. sent here and assigned to be a couple. And we pick up with them much further into their relationship. They already have two children together and whatever. But it felt like, oh, if I had seen when Philip and Elizabeth of the Americans first met, yes. this is like a version of that, which I love. I thought it was um, really interesting because I was kind of tying it to that and like what I had Scene about that kind of like spy marriage relationship. I totally agree. <clears throat> and I and I did see the first two or three seasons. I forget how far I made it. Oh, you did? Okay. But I thought the exact same thing you're suggesting, that this is an interesting counterpoint to that. That's very much about like being late in a relationship in this kind of forced marriage. And like, of course, they already have children and everything else, and they have this history. And then they like, do we want to keep doing this? As opposed to, you're absolutely correct. I think this is like the the beginning stages of that, right? It's like you're just introduced to each other and now you have to build all that. That's why I really felt like it was more of like a metaphor for dating than anything else. Yeah, I get that. The other thing I thought is an interesting, it's kind of a metaphor for work, you know, had kind of like you put up for work. There's parts of it you do like, there's parts of it you don't do it. You're mostly doing it for the check, you know, for the lifestyle. You explicitly have that in one episode where they're saying like, oh, I love the art and the apartment, everything else. So we got to kill people sometimes, you know, that's, that's the downside. That's the downside of it. I also enjoyed in the episode with the therapist where they're trying to connect everything to their life as software engineers and explain to her <laughs> all the stress maybe, of their job. <laughs> I can't remember all the laugh out loud moments on it. There were so many, but I think the episode I probably laughed, especially because I work in software, the, the th- what episode I laughed the most at is when they go to see the therapist and they're like, say we're software engineers. And then they're trying to correlate all these life and death, like you saved my life. And she's like, from coding? Like, <laughs> How does this how does this keep mapping out to software engineering? Um, anyway, I laughed a lot at that episode for them trying to cram. And then they're also like, we were a, we were camping. <laughs> Why yeah, would you it go was camping? A episode. Yeah. Yeah. One of my favorites. Maybe, maybe my favorite of the whole show. Yeah, I agree. That was great. Especially where she's just kind of like, it's just a job at the end of the day. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that kind of stops them cold in their tracks because there's that moment where she's like, you know, you guys can quit. You don't have to keep mm-hmm. working together. And then of course they 
can't be honest about the fact that, right. well, if we break up, <laughs> they may kill us. <laughs> we probably can't ever quit this job yes. without dying. So it's like, mm, yeah, yeah, it's just a job, I guess, <laughs> but not necessarily the case here. And then, of course, the punchline at the end, they like burn you know, the spoilers here, full spoilers, everybody. But they like burn her house down so that she, you know, when she finds out that they've, they've been recording their conversations. Well, honestly, I was worried they were going to kill her. So I was happy. She yes, survived. exactly. Especially with the kid in the house. Maybe <laughs> yes. if the kid wasn't in the house, she would have been dead. But uh, to be honest with yeah, you. Yeah. When they were eyeing that sphere type yes. art object, I was <laughs> yes. just like, oh, my God, they're just going to nail her in the head with this. And that's going to be it for her. All right. Here's my nitpicks. And maybe we can use that as ex explorations of the plot, because sure. I think a lot of these things are intentional. My first nitpick is that they're way too obvious about everything. Like, you know, running around New York, driving oh through gosh. intersections, yes. you know, chasing yes. people uh, like on the high line and stuff like that. Like you're going to be on a camera. There's no way you're not on a camera. Everyone's yes. got ring cameras nowadays. So, you know, and, and you basically have CCTV in public places in New York nowadays, right? Like Times Square and the High Line as Cameras well. Cameras everywhere. Everywhere, yeah. There's so I will say though, I think that got worse as the show progressed, yeah. right? But I agree with you. By those final two episodes, it was kind of like, listen, I know nothing phases New Yorkers, but <laughs> right. there is a spot where we do draw a line. And, and there are a lot of police officers around. So in addition to the cameras that you mentioned. So yeah, that all seemed a bit much to me too. I agree. I mean, you watch the local news and every single time there is like whatever, someone shot a gun. They didn't even kill anybody. They just, you know, discharged a gun in front of a club or something. And it's all over the news that night, right? Like, has anyone seen this person? Can you imagine racing down the street, shooting people in the middle of Manhattan? There would be like hundreds of videos of you everywhere, all over the television. Insane. It would be yes. the news for the next 48 hours. <laughs> Second one is maybe there's a lot of time passing on the show and we're not seeing the time passing, which I think, once again, I think these nitpicks disappear somewhat. A, my nitpick about, wow, they're doing this also publicly. It seems like this organization, once again, doesn't have to logically make sense, is so enormous that they can basically erase this stuff from history. So we just have to mm. kind of accept the fact that they can clean up like this bombing in this villa in Italy and stuff mm -hmm, like that. Mm -hmm. All of this just goes on, you know, like whatever. They just clean it up. Mm -hmm. So th this is such a massive organization that they can do something like that. Okay, fine. I guess we'll just accept that. I mean, it's like James Bond logic, right? Same thing. Like, how does nobody know who James Bond is? He should be on every newspaper cover <laughs> in the world, right? So- I guess we just have to just kind of take it all with a grain of salt. The second thing is maybe not a nitpick after all, but I did feel it at the beginning of the show. But then I'm like, okay, I guess a lot of time is passing and we're just not seeing it because when she's like proclaiming her love for him in like episode three, beginning of episode three, I'm like, this feels like they've only been together for like three weeks. <laughs> like, yes, but I, you know, when, when you see the show definitely jumps in time, like maybe a year or more you know, over the course of the show, I'm like, it probably has been more time. But at first I kind of was like, wait a second, is she in love with him after they go on three missions? <laughs> I don't know about that. I agree. That was confusing. The whole timeline of the, yeah, exactly. of the series is not clearly marked and maybe on purpose, but exactly. Exactly. As far as I could tell, and I did have the same questions, although Maybe it's one of those things like when you're in such a intense situation with somebody. It absolutely that could be that as well. Emotions I agree. build very quickly. Given the nitpicks, I actually really enjoyed exploring or hypothesizing on what could actually be going on here in a way that, for example, True Detective is like cramming mysteries and like, what is this? What is this? 
And I'm like, I don't, I guess there's a lot of mysteries. I really don't care. I'm just not engaging with that show. In this regard, <laughs> I'm not. I'm sorry. And they're trying so hard. I made a decision. I'm out. <laughs> they're trying so hard. And I'm just like, oh, I don't care. Um, and uh, But this one, as opposed to this one, I really was like intrigued with these little mysteries going on because there's definitely like little breadcrumbs. For example, when they're being like chased in the streets by other assassins, one of the assassins in the other car, it's like a couple once again. And I'm just like, is this all one giant like head game that this organization is playing on everybody, you know, pitting one against the other, or are these different organizations that use these coupled up assassins to go after each other? Like yeah, it was just yeah. very, I'm just like, what is going on here? And once again, there's definitely an intention to it. I don't know if we're ever going to get answers about it, but it did make me speculate on these things. Like what mm -hmm. is going on with these like paired up assassins? Like it's a very weird a situation going on. It also made me wonder about, um, like what's the intention of this program in general? Because it almost seems like they're sending them on missions as if it is, and maybe that's just the subjective perspective of it, as if it was testing their relationship. Because I think about something like the whole situation in episode two with the kidnapping, where it's like, we need you to record this conversation. They don't tell them that a kidnapping is going to happen. They just have to record the conversation. So they record the conversation. It turns out to be a kidnapping, which they need to record. And then he intervenes in the kidnapping, right? You could imagine that that would be a terrible outcome for whatever is going to happen there. So it's almost as if like they didn't care if he intervened or not. What was important was to see his reaction to the situation, which is very funny to think about this, like assassins literally killing people and all of it is just a test of this relationship. Over and over again, it almost seems like, well, the outcome is not that important. <laughs> It doesn't matter if the person dies or lives or if you do make the right decision or wrong decision, as long as you do the mission, which made right. it feel like oh, very much like it was like, you know, intentionally, not only like a metaphor for a relationship, but as if this um, program is about testing these people's reactions to things. Yeah, I think you have a good point. And I had the same question. Like, it just seemed like there was an end goal and they didn't yes. really care all that much about any weird diversions that happened to right. come up in connection with it. I think the truth serum was kind of like another mm -hmm. example of that where, well, they kind of botched it. Right. But um, yeah. mm -hmm. by overdosing the poor guy uh, who was a Torturo, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. right? Yes. Yeah. I yeah, can't call remember out. The, the first yeah. name. So he was a Torturo. <laughs> <laughs> what are, what are the Torturo brothers? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like I was kind of like, wow, we are really deviating <laughs> um, here. So that occurred to me as well, that it seemed very loosey-goosey what the mission entailed. They did make it clear <clears throat> that they're always watching them. Yeah. So maybe a part of it is seeing how they interact, right? Because they ask her at one point, do you want a new partner? Maybe, you know, part of their assessment is for professional reasons and part of it is for personal reasons, just to see how it's working out, um, the, the dynamic between them. But also I wanted to say, I thought it was interesting. I really love the episode where they meet the other Mr. and Mrs. Smith, mm -hmm. <laughs> or at least yes. one of the other Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Mm -hmm. I thought right. that was a great episode. That couple was like, the assumption is that you're going to have sex. The assumption is right. that mm -hmm. you're going to be in a relationship. I, my perspective was like, no, you're pretending to be married. You right. can live completely right. separate lives. It doesn't, I wouldn't think that would be the assumption. And I wouldn't think it would be encouraged necessarily even. Right. 
And then that brought me back to something that we didn't talk about, which was kind of like the cold open for the whole yes. series. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, which was so interesting because you see this couple together with a scars guard, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> one of the scars, <laughs> the tallest, the most attractive one. <laughs> and, you know, they clearly like they are in love. They have a relationship. They're trying to live a peaceful life out yeah. off the grid together. And mm-hmm. I mean, it doesn't end well for them, but um, <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, that does seem to be, and in keeping with what you were talking about before, like there are just all these couples all over the world. Yeah, right. are, <laughs> like, and other this. couples that are coming to assassinate them. We, we actually yeah. find out the uh, couple that they go on that double date with, that's their job, right? To exterminate right. other Mr. or Mrs. Mrs. Layers of things to wonder about. Makes me like super paranoid in a positive way where everything I'm seeing in the show constantly, I'm like, is any of this actually happening? So it, the, the only caveat here is that even the John Turturro thing, I'm like, is he part of this organization? And all of this is a big game. But, you know, when he gets the truth serum and he starts spouting all those things, it kind of <laughs> undercuts that possibility. Right, right. But all the other ones, like when he, when they, met the couple, I immediately was like, this is a setup, right? And then when, uh, you know, and then they get really paranoid too, right? They assume that Paul Dano, their next door neighbor, with great punchline about the real estate prices in New York, by the way, mm-hmm. that, um, that you know, when he's like, they're like, he's a spy too. And it turns out he's just scoping out their, mm-hmm. their digs. <laughs> he really was I trying mean, to- I <laughs> mean, the photos of them were a little strange though. If it's yes. all about real estate, I mean, you know what your neighbors look like. Why do you have a photo of them? I think there were like two or three photos, but- I also thought with the other Mr. and Mrs. Smith, they were so open so fast. I thought, yes, like, keep right. your guard up a little bit, you know? <laughs> a lot of the decisions they make are kind of crazy. Although I assume, once again, I didn't didn't rub me the wrong way because I thought the same thing. It's like, why are they like being so trusting of this couple? And then I felt, but I bought into it. Once again, when you like the characters and you like the right. show, you just buy into it. I bought into it because I'm putting myself in their shoes. And could you imagine you're actually in this situation where you're basically like every day is basically a suicide mission and now you have an opportunity, maybe it's just another suicide mission, but you have an opportunity to meet with people who actually know exactly what you're going through. Mm. You're like, I'll take the risk. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I could die tomorrow going on some other mission. I might as well take the risk with something I'm actually (laughs) enjoying. Like why not? Right. And I loved with that episode um, or maybe it was, maybe it ran over to the next one. I can't remember, but the dynamic of like a typical couple at a dinner party where you go home and you talk about like, God, they were so annoying with this yeah. part after they almost die in the jungle. <laughs> <You know? laughs> that is the same episode. Yeah. Hilarious where you just see the aftermath of it. It was incredible. Yeah. Great. <laughs> like, why did I say that? Why did I do that? What a stupid thing to do. I, I just loved how real that was to just like the humdrum mundane everyday things that a couple does. And then they're laughing about it. That's actually very sweet that like afterwards they're like fully traumatized and then they're busting each other's chops like now that they're safe back in their beautiful apartment. Yeah. And they actually like, you know, get intimate there, get like decompressing and like they're literally shell-shocked. Like they're like, I can't believe we just killed a bunch of people with a machete. And then they're uh, they're like, you know, laughing about it afterwards. And it's just like, it very much feels like that moment where it's like, you know, you're out of the fog of war and you're like, whoo, thank God that's over. And you can kind of (laughs) laugh about it, but it's actually endearing, right? We've all been through the circumstances you know, not with a machete, but the rest of it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so uh, let's talk about the finale. I, for my taste, this was the least successful of the episodes, partially because it was longer, and I don't really felt like feel like they used that extra time uh, to maximum effect. You know, we have the whole Paul Dano 
uh, you know, digression where he's like, you know, still jealous about this guy. He's you, you, you assume he like wants to get into the house as quickly as possible. He spends this time snooping around that guy's house. All of that seems like superfluous to the plot, especially this late in the game. There's, you know, much higher stakes out there. Uh, although it does set up a really great joke. So I guess they kept it in there. Mm -hmm. you know, maybe they decided, what well, are we going to edit this out or not? And they're like, well, you know, we want that punchline. <laughs> right? mm -hmm. And it is a great punchline, right? That, you know, that he basically, Paul Dano truly is not a spy, but really is into their real estate. And I love his reaction at the very, very end of the show, the button money episode that mm -hmm. he walks inside, he sees the whole place is all shut up. He leaves his book that he was dropping off, just dropping off a book, <laughs> you know, snooping on them again. And uh, he sees the place all shut up, assuming that they're probably dead. And he calls up his real estate mm -hmm. agent and goes, I think that property is going to be available really soon. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I do love, by the way, that the show is very self-aware of how preposterous uh, this all is when Dano calls it out in the finale. Exactly. Being like, how do you afford this apartment? Like, do you know, like the ordinances that you need to go through to make these modifications? Like, how is this possible? <laughs> And mm -hmm. uh, anyway, what's it, it's true, right? Could you imagine just that building and, and its location and, you know, probably worth tens of millions of dollars and yes. just any kind Amazing. of, <laughs> but uh, what a great, beautiful place. I like the ambiguity of the ending, which makes it work if this is a one and done season, which I have a feeling it probably will be, unfortunately, but mm -hmm. I would like to see a second season, which like you mentioned earlier on, this basically puts the... Uh, show at the moment where the Mr. and Smith, Mrs. Smith movie ends up uh, and then um, kind of leaving it open to another season, potentially. Uh, it is pretty popular, by the way, based on the internet buzz. But I would say, and tell me if you agree with this, I feel like dumping this show all at once showed a lack of confidence from Amazon and uh, which makes me feel like they're not going to probably bring it back for a second season. And I also have to say that I think this is a big miscalculation to put this show out all at once, because this would be a show that I would be speculating on and talking about in between episodes if this had been doled out uh, over weeks, I think. I was shocked when after the first episode, I just let the credits run. <laughs> and came to, right. I, I went to go do something else. And then I came back and I was like, oh my God, it's, it's still on. Another I, I was just laughing because you, uh, <laughs> I just remembered your text to me where, you know, you, you recommended it to me. And then I was like, oh, how far did you get? And then you're like, oh, I just realized there's more than one episode yes. <laughs> available. <laughs> but um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, to me, it felt like the type of show yeah, that should absolutely. be going week to week. I thought I was just late on the first episode, you know, that it had come out a few days ago. And that's why I'd been hearing how great it was. But I didn't realize the whole series was out. So yes, I agree with you. I expected it to be that type of show. For the finale, I mean, listen, I'm not much of an action movie type of girl. There was so much shooting in the house. There was just so much shooting in the house that, you know, between Donald Glover and I can't remember her name. It escapes me, although I loved her in this. Um, between the two of them, then you bring in the other Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Um, it just was, for me too much to hold my interest. I do have the assumption that they are both dead. I thought it kind of brought it full circle with that opening scene that we yeah, saw. Exactly. And that if this were to continue, we'd see a new Mr. and Mrs. Smith. But I don't know oh, how that would really bad... work yeah. with like Donald Glover being the main guy here. Exactly, so if he's right. dead, I don't, I don't know that he'd want to continue doing it if he's not in it. I agree. Mm -hmm. I have not seen 
Maya Erskine is um, this actress. I've not seen her before. She was in Pen15. Uh, which people which, loved. I never watched it. And it's a very it. broad comedy, by the way, if anyone's never seen that. But it is full-grown women pretending to be in high school situations, right. pretending to play high schoolers, you know, surrounded by high school age kids. And it's supposed to be a very, um, you know, raunchy and funny sitcom, which I've not watched very different because, you know, she's obviously very broadly comic in that show and, you know, not in this one. But yeah, I thought she was great. I thought they were great together and great cast. I mean, like you, you, you I, we should call some of these people out. You mentioned Alexander Skarsgård is open, the cold open of the show itself. Uh, the the assassins who come to kill them here at the mm-hmm. end are played by Parker Posey, looking great, by the way. Uh, no, that was Parker Posey? Parker Posey, yeah, she that looks great. That explains why the voice was so yes. familiar mm-hmm. to me. I did not realize it was her. Nice. And the other person in the in the couple is great also, this actor called Wagner Mora, who uh, is like one of those that guys. Like, I don't know what he's mm-hmm. been. He's probably been in big shows, but, um, you know, I, I just recognize him immediately, but can't place where. Like, he's been in like probably guest guessed it on thousands of TV shows, but he's great as the other half of that couple. Ron Perlman, when they're trying to escape in Italy, mm-hmm. who basically is trying to kill himself the whole time. They're dragging him, you know, uh, mm-hmm. against his will, you know, from death constantly, which is very funny. Oh, and of course, um, Sarah Paulson as their um, of course. therapist in the therapy episode. What a great episode. Let's just talk about that for a minute more. So fun just how great it is. Like not only them being there and trying to come up with excuses for that, you know, rationale for their stories, but I mean, all the cutaways, which are probably expensive to shoot when they're on this hunting trip, the naked and afraid version, because it's literally Mm -hmm. the title of the episode, but like the naked and afraid version of their (laughs) story, but also the poker game <laughs> and like how she's just like, I'm, oh my sick. God. I'm sick of this conversation. I got to shoot these guys in the head and then we're going to get something to eat. It's so great. That whole thing is so shocking. The whole poker game was so fun to watch. The dialogue <laughs> yes. between the guys playing was great. Like I definitely kind of like a tonal shift for the show. I, I think something that they did touch on is the role that race plays in their yes. dynamic. Mm-hmm. Yep. And he even right in that, I can't remember first episode, second episode, the one where they go to the silent auction, he gets out of the car and he looks at the crowd going in and he was like, it's not going to work. I have to pretend to be part of the staff because what's going to be in that gala, that auction is six black guys who know each other because they see each other all the time because they're the only six black guys. I can't just show up now. So I have to be part of the catering staff. So I thought it was um, a nice way to like kind of touch on that dynamic, the cultural shifting that people do based on who is around them. Yeah. And I also love that sequence in the fact that like how many times are, you know, theoretically you with your girlfriends and just talking in a certain way about, you know, men roll your eyes in general, you know, just the kind of bond, same situation where you kind of turn things around and, you know, he's talking to these black guys who, uh, about uh, Asian women and they have stereotypes about Latin women. They're talking about, you know, dating black women, dating Asian women. So there's all these stereotypes. And once again, just guy talk that happens when you're in a different context and then imagining your spouse is listening in on that conversation. Oh and he's not even saying anything directly insulting to her. It's just like not a way you would talk if she yes. was listening to the conversation. But of course he has to talk like he's hanging out yes. with his, his bros, right? And she gets sick of it and just murders them. <laughs> <laughs> the line, my wife is Japanese, but I don't know anything about her. She could be low-key Korean. <laughs> I loved it. <laughs> yes, that was one of the big laugh out louds for that episode. <laughs> I love that. 
she could be Loki Korean. <laughs> She's never met her family for real. So. <laughs> and then also the tie-in with um, they're talking about Maya, and then Sarah Paulson is like, "Oh my God, yes, Maya, isn't she amazing?" In her therapist voice, like, yes. you know, and then they start reminiscing about the video, <laughs> and uh, I I loved everything about it. I thought it was great, and yes, a hysterical end to it where. Finally, Jane has had enough and she just snaps and says, this is over right now and just takes care of it herself. I also love the little detail in the design here that when the first guy gets shot in the head, that the blood spatter goes directly onto the middle. I, I couldn't, I got so distracted by this for a moment. Uh, blood spatter goes right onto the middle of Donald Glover's uh, forehead, like literally where mm -hmm. the, the, the shot went on the other person. So it's almost like he looks like he's been shot in the head. Mm -hmm. So it was this interesting mm -hmm. uh, decision to, to, to do it that way, where he's now has this blood spatter on him after leaving the room. Now that I'm thinking about it, this particular poker game, she was so frustrated, but maybe he was finally like something that finally feels normal again in my life. This <laughs> Yeah, exactly. You know, I haven't gotten to hang out with friends in so long and talk like this in so long. Maybe he was purposefully prolonging it just because he was enjoying it. Maybe we could segue that into who is a good spy here or not, because I think these people are terrible at their jobs <laughs> for different reasons at different times. He is hanging out with these guys and maybe enjoying and luxuriating in being in this kind of different grounding where he's been really trapped with only one person who knows what he's going through. He really probably can't have regular relationships, right. obviously. She's comfortable with that. He is not. And then, uh, you know, obviously she's like, we need to put an end to this. <laughs> maybe she sees it as a threat to relationship. Maybe she just doesn't like this version of him that she's, that he, she's seeing. But to that point, in the very next uh, episode called Infidelity, we see him with Mm-hmm. Michaela Cole, you know, we find out like pretty early on that she, he has explained to her that they're spies, that they kill people, yada, yada, yada. And then there's this whole uh, interaction between the two of them, again, making me wonder if everything's a setup, because even as I'm watching this, I'm like, this has got to be part of a mission. Why would he tell her all this? But then why is he still with her after all this time? And of course, she's saying the same thing find out that she's not just there to mm -hmm. confront potentially this lover, but that she's more annoyed that this mission has been ongoing for so long. Mm -hmm. right? She's like, why are you still dragging this out? It's not even about the infidelity. It's about the intimacy beyond the infidelity. Uh, because ironically, he says, well, I never had sex with her at all. And she doesn't even care. She goes, what, why are you hanging out with her so much? <laughs> <laughs> so what did you think of that episode? Because I thought that was a really a fascinating a dynamic there as well. It was really interesting because it did feel like he had built this twisted sort of emotional affair more yeah. than anything else with that character and was enjoying getting to bond with her and share those things with her, even though he knew that in the end he was supposed to kill her. Um, <laughs> right. You know, and right. The reason that she's tipped off to this is, I think, because hi, hi finally yeah. reaches his or her limit also. Yes. And, and it's like, what is going on with your partner's mission? So they are just fundamentally different people in that way, which is interesting that they would pair them together. Um, and I do think, not I think it's explicit, right? That a theme throughout the show is that she, Jane believes she's better at this than John. Jane yeah. thinks John is stupid. John feels like he needs to defer to Jane. And... I would say, I guess, as far as like concrete metrics, Jane is more successful. I, I'd agree. I think she probably more has a demeanor 
that maybe fits the role better. However, I think it goes back to my idea of like what's actually going on here. And I think that the show wants us to ask this question. I don't think it's just a plot hole with this actual dynamic because hi, hi. I love that's the name of the character, by the way. This is. Yeah. And I wonder if this is an actual person, by the way, or if not some kind of AI. And the reason I say that, once again, very intentionally is when it asks Jane if she's happy, this, any other thing, waits for her response. She like mulls it over, responds. And if you notice, the second she responds, you see the typing starts to occur. It's like mm. instantaneously responding to her. Um, mm. And, you know, so it's not a person mulling over that reaction. It's like instantly ready to go, right? Which very much mm. feels like when you're interacting with ChatGPT or something, it starts responding instantaneously, right? So it made me wonder about that as someone who uses ChatGPT. It made me wonder if we're supposed to wonder if it's telling us something in the speed of the response. Right. Hmm. But beyond that, also, if like this is all a setup, like, is this all intended to be, here's this job with all these perks, isn't it great? But then they're not matching up people who are going to be really good spies together. They're matching up people who will turn on each other eventually because like Hi Hi is actually trying to turn both of them against each other. So is the intention that they will eventually kill each other off and therefore they don't have to pay them or whatever other uh, gotchas they have. They can keep that one beautiful apartment and just turn people (laughs) in and out of it. And then you only bring in the cleanup crew if it doesn't work out, right? Rather than is this, are they being forced together because they're a good match or because the intention Mm. is to have them uh, kill each other. And only the ones who do end up getting along have to get cleaned up in in the end. I I do wonder if that's the uh, I mean, I definitely think that they want them to be willing to kill each other if nothing else, right? Because otherwise it's a problem if one of them kind of goes rogue, you have to have the other be willing to terminate them. Maybe they don't want them getting along all that well. Despite the fact that the finale is not great, was kind of touched having them both in that safe room at the end. And mm-hmm. um, you know, she is basically on a suicide mission for just the chance that he might survive, which is unlikely yeah. at that point. But also that like, you know, she's comforting him by telling her like, you know, how many kids are we going to have? All these things that yeah. they about. So yeah, that was really, really well done. I thought. Not the episode itself is uneven, right. me, but I thought that the the final moments are really strong. And that great joke at the end where old Dana walks yes. in and he's just like, oh, I think that house is available. <laughs> <laughs> that's all he cares about. So that is, I think it's important that that's where the show ends off because here's a deeper read I have for you. Tell me what you think about this one. I'm always wondering like, what is a show actually about? I'm always asking myself that intentionally or unintentionally, right? Sometimes you make decisions just to move from one scene to the next as a creator, but then in the end, the thing becomes about something bigger, or maybe that was just on the creator's mind in some way and it exposed itself. I do wonder if this show to some extent is like a critique of the compromises we all make in being well off, like in general in America or you know, being upper middle class like we are living in New York and living in these luxurious surroundings, you make these concessions to your own morality. I get to live lavishly. I get these great vacations. So you know what? Like sometimes people die. <laughs> and I find it interesting that like when they drop off a cake and walk away and it blows up, they don't really feel guilty about it. But when like in front of their face, someone's being kidnapped. They need to take action because it's like they're confronted with it. But I do wonder if it's like, if bad things are happening, but they're happening over there, maybe we can all kind of ignore it so that I can kind of maintain my upper middle class lifestyle. And I think we all uh, play into that. I do wonder if the show is, you know, by making this metaphor of literally people dying, (laughs) it's asking us to kind of question that a little bit. 
First of all, I want to say that that cake thing was the first example of one of your nitpicks where a black man and an Asian woman are running covered in ash away yes. from an explosion right. down a suburban street. Everybody is out watching. Not everybody, but enough people are out watching. No, Nobody's going to tell the police this is who I saw running <laughs> yes, away covered exactly. in ash. <laughs> I mean, it was, they were not nondescript whatsoever. So right, right. I agree with you on that net pick. You just brought me back to that. <laughs> the other comment is, yes, it's a much deeper analysis than had occurred to me about trade-offs we make and willful blindness to things, which is interesting. I mean, it's something I hadn't considered. And I don't think the original Mr. and Mrs. Smith went to that level, but <laughs> I don't this think there's one... any deeper read there other than like marriage is tough. <laughs> yes. Relationships are hard. Um, <laughs> right. That's the takeaway. Interesting. Yeah. That's something that I need to think more about. I mean, I definitely think there was some kind of commentary there. This is not nearly as deep, but as far as like relationships are hard about like, you know, at a certain point you make a decision to be with someone who might not be the best match for you of all the people that are out there, but you've committed to it and you've committed to building a life together. And that means that you are going to find a way to make it work that will make you both be happy, which I think is, is very typical of relationships. I have always said about marriage People change over time, and I'm not the same person I was when I got married, although probably essentially my values are the same and my character is the same. I think I, I have become different in a lot of ways, and I'm sure my husband has too. And I feel like whether you grow together or grow apart, some of it is in your control, but some of it is not. And, you know, you kind of like, and this is kind of what Sarah Paulson was saying in that therapist episode, like, Every day that you wake up, you are making a choice to be together and do what it takes to be together in a way that is like healthy and happy and, and the compromises you have to make to do that, which I thought was definitely not as deep as what you're saying, but still something universally true for all of us. I'm going to have to mull over the rest. All right. Is there anything you're looking forward to seeing in the upcoming that maybe we can touch base again within a few weeks or something? You know, there's not too much out there that I'm aware of that I'm looking forward to watching. But I will say, you know, we started off by talking about these procedural type shows. And I have mentioned to you before, I can't remember if it was on the podcast or not. I have become a very big fan of the show Will Trent on ABC. Mm, okay. And that is back after a long break. So I am excited for that to be back. I really am enjoying that show quite a bit. Watching football recently, I have seen a lot of uh, commercials for that show. It looks interesting, but uh, you know, I, I guess there's a lot of catch up. Network TV is a big investment, so I think if you're behind, you're, you're way behind. But, but I, I was intrigued by that. Oh, and one more thing, I recommended to you already. I um, it, the, the Traders uh, has is, has come back, and uh, I very much enjoyed season one of the Traders. I don't really like. I don't even know who these characters are, the reality TV folks. Right. But I love the dynamic of this game, the way it's played and how they literally have to turn each other against each other. You know, the, the faithful, as they call them, the, the non killers uh, against each other and simultaneously killing them off and then using their kills to, you know, not only protect their identities, but also to turn these people against each other. And I found it really fascinating. 
uh, and also like the the toll, the emotional toll it takes on the traders who start off like enjoying this, like you know, licking their chops. But then as they get close to these people, so that they can manipulate them, they start feeling like terrible people. <laughs> and it's like this metaphor for like compromises in, in your you know maybe a, a, a critique of capitalism that the only way to get to win in the end to get the whole jackpot is to betray everybody and be alone <laughs> and how devastating that is. So maybe a critique of the the whole capitalist system in general. Which kind of ties into your theory about Mr. It, and Mrs. It, it, it may very well be why I have this read of both shows. <laughs> anyway, that was a lot of fun. Thanks for the conversation. Thank you. Talk to you soon. Talk to you later.